Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin podcast, the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome to episode number 123, a mnemonic number, 123. And this week, we are really excited to have Joe Hesse, the head boys basketball coach at Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family in Nebraska here. Uh, but before we talk to Coach Hesse, we, of course, want to thank our sponsors for the podcast. Our original sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. Follow us on Twitter, at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. If you're listening, of course, you're on iTunes, so download, rate, review, give the podcast five stars so we can get the word out and gain momentum in the ratings so that we can help as many coaches as we can to hone their craft. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com and check out our website, a pen and a napkin.com. I just downloaded some new stuff a couple of days ago on some run and jump pressure defense and some 2 2 1 pressure defense. So go check that out at a pen and a napkin.com. Coach Essie. How are you this yes. fine Saturday morning, sir? Uh, I am doing very well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, excited to have you on here. Uh, we've got uh, we've got some youngsters that might be uh, doing some stuff here in the background, but you know, in true a pen and a napkin fashion, we are going to carry on. We are going to move forward, and we, you know what? If we get wild and crazy, maybe we'll have the we'll have one or two of them on get us give us a quote or something like that. So, there you go. <laughs> uh, it'd probably be better than anything we'd say anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, Coach, you know you've you've had a great run there at Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family, um, and uh, you know just excited to have you on the podcast here this week. Uh, let's kind of do what we do with most of our guests here. Uh, for for folks that don't know the Joe Hesse story, the Joe Hesse basketball journey, uh, tell us about your journey in the sport and how you ended up at Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family. Um, sure. So uh, my dad, Rick, um, coached at Clearwater for many, many years, uh, was pretty successful. Um, I don't know if he coached there for 20 years, 23 years, and I think about half of his teams qualified for the state tournament, uh, left there with a really awesome record. I think he had 300 wins, maybe. Uh, he went to Valentine, picked up his 400th win there, and you know, the whole while I get to see it and be around it, uh, spent a lot of hours in the gym, and I think probably from the time I was in junior high, I knew that this is what I was going to do. I just couldn't picture myself doing anything else. I I loved how people in the community interacted with my dad. Uh, I loved seeing him around other coaches. For a long time, I couldn't understand how he was friends with other basketball coaches. <laughs> you know, when you're a little kid and you see him talking to the guy that you want to beat, it just doesn't make sense. But uh, now you do the job and you realize you have so much in common with those people. And some of his best friends were, you know, guys that he would see two or three times a year yeah. on the schedule. Yeah. Um, so then after Valentine, I, I went to, to school for this stuff. I ended up student teaching in Dundee County. Uh, with uh, Chris Freeland, uh, was a good friend. And I got my first job in Wallace, and I coached there for four years. And uh, it was really a great community and a great place. And, um, you know, just they they really kind of took a step back and let me do my thing and kind of fall on my face, and nobody was micromanaging me. 
just right out of college, I got to run a team and mm-hmm. um, it, it was truly a great opportunity. And I think we maybe had one year, we won 18 or 19 games and got beaten sub districts, but uh, you know, great season, great time. And then uh, during that time I met my wife, we were dating and uh, she sort of encouraged me to move somewhere closer uh to her on the eastern side of the state, so I put some applications out. And, mm-hmm. um, turns out the principal at Humphrey was uh, one of my dad's former students, uh, Mosier from Clearwater, and he, uh, you know, I interviewed, and he was uh, one of the guys that sat in and gave me the job. Oh, very good. Um, yeah. When you got that first head coaching job when you were really young, I mean, you had been around it, you had planned on doing this for a long time and and I was kind of the same way my dad wasn't a coach but he was a teacher and I knew I I knew I wanted to coach uh but you know you you you've been around it you were on bus trips with your dad you you know you did you did everything that you possibly could to prepare yourself uh but there still had to be a couple of things that kind of took you off guard when you got the job and you didn't realize, oh, this is part of it, or, oh, I didn't realize this was as difficult as what it was. What were one or two things that you can recall from that time period where you're like, I didn't, as, as, much, as, as, as much as I thought as I, as I was prepared, this is something that took me off guard? Um, I think one of the things that I didn't address very much in uh, you know, that first job that I tried to now is I totally – underestimated the value of shooting the basketball mm-hmm. um, in our practices we didn't shoot I thought you know we could x and o people uh, to death and get layups and you know eventually people start sagging off guys that can't shoot and uh, just made it really difficult when only a couple guys had to be guarded and for some reason that never really clicked to me I thought we could get points in lots of different ways but uh, if I could go back in time, I would have had those guys shooting the ball an awful lot more in practice than what we did. Yeah, I, I think that there's there's a there's a growth that needs to happen with. <laughs> hey, there we are. Now we're we're ready to roll here. So we go to a birthday party later today. Oh, okay. All right. Is this the is this the three year old or the five year old? Uh, that is my three year old Ricky. All right. Well, hey, Ricky, you she have a great time, up. buddy. You bet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's a learning curve for everybody when they jump into the job. There's things that they anticipate. There's things that they don't anticipate. Um, and and sometimes, you know, we, we think, you know, and I, and I think I was probably saying, if, if we just run enough plays, we're going to be all right, you know. Uh, yeah. But you, the, the more kids that you can have that can shoot the ball – the less you have to rely on the X's and O's and the schematics. That's that's kind of the the point that I've arrived at. Is that kind of where you're at, Joe? Uh, I would definitely agree because the last few years, I think we maybe have only had two set plays. Really? Uh, and, you know, back then we, we did a lot of things. And we did some five-man motions and continuity stuff, but we'd run it until we got a certain look that we wanted. Um, the shooting the ball, yeah. I, I wish we would have done that a little bit more and then maybe – um, the the parent issue. I didn't have a lot of them, but man, when you did, when I just first started out, uh, it was almost just crushing, you know, to be yeah. 
doing the best job you you possibly could and working really hard and um for some reason I thought I could make everybody happy <laughs> and realizing you can't do that was kind of eye-opening and I guess that was a part of the job that I didn't learn from watching my dad. That was something he must have kept hidden from me because I didn't get to hear about that very much. Well, I'm sure he probably wanted to protect you, didn't he? I, I would think. Now, now with yeah. some re- with some perspective, I'm, I'm guessing that's part of it. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, that that first parental confrontation, that that first parent email that you get, uh, that's 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 a really hard thing for for a coach to take, don't you think? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, because we, like you said, you think you can make everybody happy. Um, how did you handle it? Um, I, I'm pretty sure I took it to my AD and kind of asked him what he thought. Um, I think it was just a kind of a JV. It was one of those, I call them tweener kids, that seventh, eighth player that you only give two quarters of JV to, but then they don't play a lot in the varsity game either. They're kind of there just in case. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a very valid question or point from a parent. Why isn't my kid playing more? Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to him, and we ended up giving the kid some more JV time at the expense of maybe getting into a varsity game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and those are those are usually the ones that you get. You know, uh, yep. parents can say whatever they want, but usually ninety five percent of your parent complaints come back to playing time um, yep. you know and 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 there's different ways that they address it there's different ways that it's that it's buttered up uh but that's that's the way it usually is so um yep. you you put down some influences here and and four four big ones here so what i want to do here joe is i want to rapid fire on these here uh just spend a minute or two on each one uh, just one or two big things that you took from each one of these folks that has helped you with your coaching philosophy, your coaching career, so forth and so on. Um, does that make sense? Yep, it okay. does. All right. So uh, Chris Freeland, Chris Freeland, what, uh, what's one or two big things that you've taken from him? Um, I So his uh, stepson, Matt, was a friend of mine at college, and that's how I got to know uh, Freeland and, uh, went student taught with him, stayed with him for kind of a semester and a half through basketball was his assistant coach for that student teaching year. He, uh, the way he treats kids, I mean, he, he always tells people he has a big heart and he loves his kids. And it's very obvious when you're around him that he has a big heart. He loves his kids. Um, the system that he's come kind of put together down there uh, before he got there Dundee County was a track school that was their thing and they were good at it and every year he will play about 10 or 11 kids almost everybody gets in the game and they just press you and if they foul they don't care because their ninth or 10th guy is a better athlete than your fifth guy mm-hmm. and they'll just continue to just wear you out throughout the course of a game um what I learned from him is really taking a step back and, uh, you know, what, what do I got to do systematically here for my guys to give them the best shot? Because I feel like he really does that where he's at. He may not have the most talented teams, but he has good athletes and he, 
he squeezes the lemon for every last drop there, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, excuse me. Jody Rhodes. Um, yeah, so that first job in uh, Wallace, I kind of set my eyes on some of the really good coaches in that area. Uh, those were the guys that I would you know, like to beat or compete with. Uh, I think Jody was a PE teacher, and his kids just knew his system uh, so well. And you watch film, and you can kind of almost anticipate where the ball's going to go. Uh, they were so well coached, so good in their X's and O's. And then I remember, you know, we're playing them. Guys, we're going to shut this thing down when they try to do this. And then they hit you with this counter that you never saw on film. But to the kids, it had just come natural because they had worked on it so many times. And I think what I pulled from him is I used to just do drills that I'd find or that I'd seen, Mm -hmm. but maybe didn't apply to the way that we played basketball. Yep. After coaching against him, I realized that's kind of a waste of time and we need to look at how we're going to play, what we're going to run on offense and defense, and we really need to get better at that. So putting your drills towards the system that you're going to do on Friday and Saturday. Correct, which makes sense, but yeah, I was inexperienced and just watching how fluid everything came to his guys, it uh, it was an eye-opener for me that we weren't drilling the right things in practice. Well, and I think that's a hard lesson that every young coach has to learn. You you, you see all these drills, and that's oh, a great drill. we got to run that drill. It's a great drill. Yeah, but does it fit us? And I think, like yep. you said, that comes with experience of, you know, this is we only have a finite amount of time in practice. Everything we have to do has to fit our system and has to fit what we're going to do when we start going five on five. And I know, I know that's something that I that I, that's the same trap I fell into. I know that for sure. So, so I, I'm with you there, Joe. I'm with you on that one. So hard lessons yeah, learned. No. So, oh man, yeah. Like I said, he, uh, you know, early on I never talked to him. He's an influence just from a distance, you know. But it's like, how how are these guys so good at these counters that I haven't seen? in three games and you stop and think about it, it's like, Oh, they probably practice this every day. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're practicing things that don't matter every day. So we need to fix that. Yep. Dave, uh, Coolen, is that how you say That's it? Yep. Coolen. Yep. 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 Uh, uh, Dave Coolen. He's kind of right there with, uh, Jody Rhodes for me too. I, I kind of reach out to him now every once in a while. He's coaching the girls at Bridgeport and he's got, some really good teams on his hands there. But yep. uh, when I first got to Wallace, I think Coolin had won a state title in maybe 2007 or nine and uh, had a runner up team when I was student teaching and kind of set my sights on this guy too, that this is someone that we want to be able to compete with. And typically if we had evenly matched teams, his teams won, but then the, his talent pool kind of dried up and mm-hmm. uh, we were able to beat him a couple times, but uh, the big thing with him was he ran a he ran a press, kind of a two two one zone press, and if you passed it to one side, they did like an immediate trap, and if you passed it to the other side, uh, the guard was a little bit faster. He would basically beg them to take the sideline, and he'd run them down from behind, and they'd trap at half court. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I just remember thinking. You know, they're doing the same thing, but he is changing the same thing to give people different looks and also to benefit the skill set of his players. 
And it just kind of made me think, you know, not not everything has to be the the exact same for everybody. Kids should have some different rules. Um, and that's kind of a lesson I've I've carried here, if that makes sense. No, no, I um I had a I had a player one time and she was without a doubt the best athlete in the state. And mm-hmm. and I just I literally told her and I told I said it to the team. We're gonna let Mamie do whatever Mamie wants to do defensively, you know, uh, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, and if she sees a chance where she can go trap or attack the ball, we're going to let her do it. And, and sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta let kids roll and just let them play instinctive basketball. And that makes you look a lot smarter than what you really are. Right. Yeah. So, and then of course your dad, uh, Rick Hesse, um, obviously great track record. Uh, I'm sure you could probably go on for an hour about everything that you learned from your dad, sure. but, uh, you know, if we could keep it at a minute or two here, what 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 have you taken from your dad? Um, I don't know. You know, it's almost like you, you know, you were a little kid and you learn, you just learn how to speak from your parents talking to you and stuff. Like I just, I don't even, I think about everything I know about basketball comes from my dad. Mm-hmm. Like things I don't even think of. It's just what I've always seen or what we've always done, and I just kind of take it for granted that this is the right thing to do. Um, a couple years ago, my mom always gives me boxes of stuff since he passed away and I got another box and, uh, he used to go to some big clinics and he went and watched Bobby Knight a couple times and he took really extensive notes and I was reading through his notes and about everything that was in there was things that we were doing or he was teaching me when I was in high school playing for him. Uh, he was a big fan of Bobby Knight and the way that he did things. Uh, man-to-man defense. We ran a lot of five-man motion on offense. Um, that, and then I, I mentioned Freeland having a big heart. My dad always had a smile on his face. He wanted to make people's days. Um, and just as a coach, I mean, he never gave up on you. If you went out and you got hammered and you got beat by 30 uh, in the locker room, he wasn't going to yell at you you know, and let you know how bad you did. But he turned the focus to the next game, and he said, this is what we have to do better. And just the goal is always to be playing your best at the end of the season, and he never lost sight of that goal, no matter what was happening now in the moment. Yeah. Well, speaking of playing your best at the end of the season, you folks in the Humphrey area have done a tremendous job uh, with that. Not only your team, uh, but the school just literally right across the street. You know, how big is Humphrey? About 700 people-ish, something? I, I think our sign says 900-something. 900-something. So you, But you have two high schools in a town of, of 900, uh, Humphrey, and, yeah. and then Humphrey St. Francis. And then you guys, of course, co-op with Lindsay Holy Family, which is just a few miles down the road. And yep. this, you know, Humphrey St. Francis has had numerous uh, state – uh, championships, boys, girls, basketball, football, all these sorts of things. You guys have had great runs. Uh, just what, uh, and, and we're going to keep it to basketball for here, but but what are you guys uh, doing there in, in Humphrey that is that is just, man, you get, you, you're just a juggernaut. You, get, you just got it rolling like a river. Uh, what, what are you guys doing there? Um, I would lead off by saying, like, we've had, both schools, boys and girls, you know, geez, St. Fran girls just had Allison Whitener. 
Yeah. Uh, St. Fran boys just graduate Tanner Pfeiffer, who's now their all-time leading scorer, which you think about St. Francis basketball, that's pretty incredible. Um, and, you know, we've had our Suits twins. Girls have had good players. Uh, we've had great runs of athletes, but we've probably had an even better run of parents. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go up to the gym during basketball season on a Saturday at any given hour, there is a group of parents that are coaching their kids' teams in the gym. It goes all the way down to like second and third grade, I think. Uh, you know, the youth program, I do a camp in the summer. We do one camp during the season. And then we just have this network of parent volunteers that are going to get kids in the gym, uh, have practices, go to a couple tournaments. They're going to introduce some half-court offensive, defensive concepts to kids. By the time they've gotten to junior high, they understand how to run an offense, and they understand that defense is more than just following your guy around. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has been a huge benefit. We've had parents that are willing to take the time to do that you know, a lot of times there's three or four parents in the gym. They they have almost too many parent volunteers. <laughs> uh, it's a really cool thing to see. And then, uh, you know, something else that probably benefits both of our schools, too, is uh, for whatever reason, we don't have wrestling programs here. I think we used to maybe co-op have one. I think St. Fran did maybe 10 years ago. Lindsay did a while ago. I don't know if Humphrey Public has ever had wrestling, and I don't know the reason for it. I'm relatively new, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, every year we're we're going to get the best athletes out for basketball, and that's. I mean, we had to have been the only C two school last year that didn't have wrestling. Yeah. With with those parents, do you uh, like within your program? Do you have? Uh, hey, this is how I want you to teach our man to man to the best of your ability. And I know it's it's. Let's say your third graders are going to be at a different place than your sixth or seventh graders. I understand that, but. You know, here's kind of what we're teaching. Here's kind of what I would like for you to do. Or is it just kind of go ahead and teach them and I trust you? Uh, it is go ahead, teach them and I trust you. I think okay. even the four years that we've had here, yeah, I'm just not really a system guy. I always kind of take a step back and look and kind of grind my gears on what this group needs to do to be the most successful and for four years, we haven't run the same offense in a row. Okay. We've changed it completely, scrapped it, or added a bunch of things to it so it's not even recognizable from the previous year. Um, just trying to make things fit with the talent we have. So I don't, I don't really you – know, I'm just happy someone's taking those kids and they have a ball in their hands and they're playing. Yeah. Uh, what was it like pulling the double this year? You guys won it in in uh, exciting – uh, style your your girls team had a little bit easier time in the finals but you guys you guys pulled the double the boys and the girls brought home a state championship man that uh obviously i was really pumped for us because <laughs> geez we had a tough road to get there playing Hell's dodge again and north fork catholic and then uh meeting gicc in the finals um like you said all those games oh, they were all close i think we were losing in the fourth quarter of all of them uh, just to find a way to win was awesome. And on the girls' side, they just kind of ran through their tournament. I thought it was kind of neat that um, the one year that they do boys and girls the same week, that's the year that we're able to pull that off, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a heck of a run. And, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of get into the, the postseason stuff here a little bit. But, uh, you know, it, it had to be just great for the community. Oh, it was. There was, um, you know, on huddle sometimes – 
you can, uh, you know, watching the games, you uh, pause and you see somebody in the fans kind of freaking out. And you're like, man, I, I haven't seen that guy show up to a game all year, but he's he's coming to this one, you know? Yeah. Um, community support was great. Everybody showed up for um, for those games. And, man, for a little town, I mean, we, we sure tried our best to fill up Pinnacle Bank. Yeah, absolutely. Coaches, I love doing a pen and a napkin. It is something that was intended to become a hobby, but it has become a passion and a blessing in my life. I love helping coaches, and I hope that I've been able to help you in some way, shape, or form. I want to do more, but I need your help to do that. I've recently opened up a Patreon page to help a pen and a napkin grow even further, and I'd appreciate any help that you would be willing to give to a pen and a napkin. From the layup tier, and for as little as $3 a month, to the three-point tier, your generosity will enable a pen and a napkin to grow and develop even greater projects than we've already done. For more information, go to a pen and a napkin.com and go to the Patreon link or go to patreon.com backslash a pen and a napkin. Um, you're, uh, you, you've had a heck of a run here with uh, the, the last uh, four years, three state championships, uh, just just a, a tremendous amount of talent. I think I looked it up, and, and, and if, if I'm wrong on this number, Joe, correct me, 100 wins and 16 losses in the last four years. Uh, yep. is, is that is that in the ballpark of being correct? Yep, that's okay. correct. Okay. Um, but obviously, y- you knew that you had a bunch of talent coming up. I mean, yep. it, it doesn't take a basketball genius to see the Suits Twins and some of the other kids that you've had that, oh yeah, I think these guys are going to be pretty good. Um, but you also have to cultivate that talent. Uh, you know, What were some of the keys that you felt like, and now that you've made this run and, and you've got a little bit of perspective, um, and, I, and I don't want you to be humble here because this is about helping other coaches. Uh, sure. You know, what are some things that you felt like your you and your coaching staff did really well to take this terrific, talented group of individuals and cultivated them into being a cohesive team? And 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 to because a lot of times we get talent, but we don't maximize that talent. Uh, and and you guys were able to do that really well. So so what is what are some things that you feel like now with a little bit of perspective that you feel like you and your coaching staff did well the last four years to cultivate this class to enable them to to reach such uh, lofty goals? I have two things that jumped to my mind um, when these suits twins were freshmen. You know, we were able to win state <clears throat> that year too, and we had a, a very talented team in Class D basketball. And um, you still could have made an argument that those two might have been the best two players on the floor. Yep. You maybe could argue for a couple other guys, you know, that were really good as well. But, uh, you know, you talk about cultivating this team mentality. Um, Jason and Jacob Suits did not start a game as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember they, that. Yep. They came off the bench, and it's funny because – after this year, Jason just became a four-time All-Stater, which that doesn't happen very often. But as a freshman, he was our leading scorer, averaged about 12 a game, and they named him All-State, and he wasn't even a starter for us. Mm-hmm. And doing that from the very beginning, bringing these guys off, you know, we could have had them in the starting lineup, but then production would have dipped from the senior 
or the junior that they were starting over, they would have been, you know, had hurt feelings about it. Um, I had several talks with those guys, you know, obviously the start of the year, they're going to come off the bench. And when it became really obvious that they were really good, I had a couple more talks with them uh, because both of their goals were to be starters. Uh, We do little goal sheets at the start of the year, and that's something they put for themselves. And uh, I had a lot of talks with them and their dad is our superintendent. I had a couple talks with him too. I think he would have liked to have seen him in the starting lineup, but uh, bringing those guys off the bench for the next three or four years, it's like nobody could really complain about starting or coming off the bench or even playing time for that matter because of what those guys sacrificed as freshmen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that really set the tone for the team mentality that it, it doesn't matter who starts. It, it's about who finishes and it's about winning games. And I feel like you could still feel that this year. We had a, a Frondoffer kid that was probably our third best player. He was coming off the bench as a junior. Mm-hmm. You know, just being able to go to the bench and your production doesn't drop off. Yeah, uh, That was a huge key for our success all four of these years is, you know, we, we have a, a really nice starting five. It might not be our best five, though. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if everybody's able to get away with doing that. You know, that's... We had a lot of pretty good players, but uh, I think that made a big difference for us, being able to go to the bench. Doing that to those guys as freshmen uh, just set the tone for what we've been able to do. And, uh, you know, we would... Every year I tried to do it twice. This year only got to it once. I like to do report cards with kids. Um, Just during practice, I basically let my assistants take over practice, kind of do some fun things with kids. It's usually the day after a game and the day before a game where you're not going to do much anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, I would grab kids one by one, freshmen, seniors, everybody in between, and I'd give them just like five minutes of this is what you've been doing well and this is what you need to do better. And for freshmen that are playing JV, it's pretty generic. You know, if you want to be a good varsity player, these are the things you need to do better. But for some of those varsity guys, you know, not everybody needs to score 10 points. Yep. Uh, I had a little guard that was frustrated. He wasn't shooting the ball more. He wanted to get some more shots up this year. Uh, And I grabbed him and told him, kind of a little anecdotal story. It was like, you know, you remind me of me when I was a junior in high school. Um, I played wide receiver for a team that ran the ball 70 times a game. And if I (laughs) dropped that first pass that was thrown to me, I wasn't going to get a ball again. Uh You know, you need to make the ones that you get count. You're going to have some big games, but keep playing really hard on defense. And, uh, you know, he went from kind of frustrated to, that was really the last time I talked to him, but it just kind of seemed to clear the air a little bit about the situation. When you have talented teams, you need to make sure that you're taking the time to talk to those guys and kind of check their temperature uh, and make sure that they're okay with the direction things are going, because if they're not, you're going to have a problem. So having those conversations, you know, I had a couple guys that I talked to multiple times during the year uh, just to make sure that, you know, we, we were so talented. I didn't want us to beat ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that kind of leads me to the the next question. Uh, you know, sometimes when you have these really, really talented groups, uh, a lot of times from the outside looking in, people think, oh, that's got to be great. That's got to be easy, you know. And sometimes those are the most difficult seasons you can have as a coach because of the management of the expectations, like you kind of talked about or referred to the, the management of ego, 
because you do have a lot of good players and you don't have enough minutes and enough shots and enough points for everybody, you know, uh, was there anything else that you guys tried to do to kind of help with that management of those expectations, both within the team and maybe even publicly uh, dealing with, uh, the guys at the corner barber shop that are down talking to Coach Norman Dale uh, before the season starts or something like that, you know. Um, no, not you know anybody who wanted to talk. I mean, I, I guess I kind of fueled the expectations a little bit myself. You know, people said, "Oh, we should be good this year," and I'd say, "Yeah, we should be really good this year." Like it's, it's just not every year. You know, you get that. And if word ever got back to my players about what I said, I want them to know that I expect really big things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we just the way we, uh, I don't know, kind of handle it, talk about it, go about our business. You know, if we're, you know, I'm kind of one of those control what you can control guys. Mm-hmm. If we're controlling the things we can control, we're going to be in really good shape. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, as far as managing expectations, I'm, if, if we're taking care of our business, we're we're going to be sitting good. Yep. Yep. Um, what uh, you know, you guys have have made obviously three, you know, four deep runs uh, the last four seasons. Uh, what do you? What have you guys done that you think again? And I don't want you to to be too humble here, uh, Coach. Uh, you know, what have you guys done to help with those? great postseason runs what have you done uh what have you what do you feel like you guys have done well to make these deep tournament runs uh because you're in a not only is the state tournament runs great but you're in a highly competitive area just trying to get to the state tournament uh so so what do you what have you guys done you know maybe starting you know in late january early february that's kind of geared your teams towards making that really strong run in mid-february going all the way through to march till whenever you're done yeah, so, uh, um, you know, you mentioned January. By the time we get to January, we're doing those hour-and-a-half practices. We're cutting them shorter, uh, keeping legs, because our – I'm trying to think. We only have maybe seven games before Christmas break, and then January just gets super busy. Mm-hmm. So we try to cut down on practice minutes for sure. And now that I'm in the fourth year of doing this stuff, I mean, it's – it's just crazy how much the kids know and how much they've been paying attention. Uh, there's so many things we've, I think this year we maybe worked on our press one time in practice and the kids just know it. Uh, they, you know, just from running it all those previous years. Um, but to answer that better, I guess, uh, you know, every year has just been a completely different team. That first year we had seven guys and it honestly didn't matter who was on the floor. All seven were interchangeable parts. Uh, so every single game, we were going to press you for four quarters. We were going to run our one-three-one for four quarters, and we'll just plug these guys in. And these seven are better than your five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the second year uh, when we got third, um, we focused on shooting a lot in practice. And that team, I think, finished maybe seventh or eighth all time and made three pointers in a season. Mm-hmm. Just in it, and they shot a super high percentage as a team. I think my four best shooters combined for a thirty-seven percent three-point average. That's shooting uh, well. Oh, it was absolutely incredible. And uh, from the time January was on, we do a little bit of defense, but then we just shot the ball. Um, 
you know, something else. Uh, last year's team, the team before when we were D1, um, we uh, offensively, we just had such a huge talent gap between the guys on top, Jason and Jacob and Ethan Keller and everybody else. Uh, we had an offense that had a lot of rules to it and expectations, and it became very clear that if one of those three guys didn't follow a rule, I didn't want to take him out of the game. But if it was somebody else, I would take him out of the game. So eventually we just got rid of all the rules and said, you guys just kind of occupy these spots on the floor and let's try to get these guys the ball. Uh, and from January to February, we basically worked on just this. You know, we basically ran the wheel against man, man defenses, but we were going to try to have these guys occupy these spots and just kind of get them in one-on-one -on -one situations the best we could. Because mm -hmm. like I said, I'm you know, if, if I'm not pulling guys for screwing up, then you have a really big problem on your hands. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to giggle about that for the rest of the weekend. That's, that's, that's a good um, one. I, I like that. I like that a it's, lot. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It almost kind of sounds silly to say, but if you're not treating your, your best players the same way you're treating the other guys, then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, especially on offense and when it comes to playing time. And I remember we're in a game and it's like, well, this is stupid. This guy hasn't done this thing two times. And, you know, all these guys on the bench know it, that I'm mad at him, but I can't take him out of the game. So we need to take a look at what we're doing and, you know, how, how do we how do we remedy this? A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter. Send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com or order from our website, a pen and a napkin .com. Be sure to check out the a pen and a napkin video library. Coach, at this time, we're going to jump into our John Wooden quote of the day. Uh, each week we have a, a quote uh, that we that we use. We went 100 times with Don Meyer and now we're on John Wooden. Uh, so I'm going to throw out the John Wooden quote of the day, and if you would like to comment on it, feel free to do so. You ready to go? You bet. All right, so the John Wooden quote of the day is, you can't let praise or criticism get to you. It's a weakness to get caught up in either one. And, and I think that's true mm. for, for so many of us. Uh, when we're doing well, we think we're a lot better than what we really are. When things aren't going well and we're being criticized by whomever, we think we're worthless and we can't do a thing right. We're neither. We're, we're somewhere in the middle. And usually a lot of our praise or criticism is determined by the players that we have. Uh, that's my two cents on that one, but I'll let you talk about it. Um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I'm, uh, I don't know. When, anymore, when you get praise... I do my best to accept it with a smile and uh, chit chat about it a little bit, but um, I'm, I feel like I'm past the point of letting that stuff get to my head and uh, the criticism. I wish I could brush it off a little bit better, 
anytime there's some kind of criticism, I really like to chew on it and kind of wonder where that criticism really comes from. And if there's a point, because I feel like you should always be learning a little bit, but is it, is it something you should, uh, think about and work on, or is it something that uh, is coming from an angry fan or parent, I mm-hmm. guess? Yeah. And, and I think that the older you get, the, the, the more you go through it, the more, you know, you have to, most, most of us have to develop some sort of tough skin, uh, and, sure. and thick skin. And it's, it's something that most of us are not born with because most of us get into this job because we want to help kids. We want to have positive influences on them and it doesn't always work out that way you know uh and no matter what you do there's just certain people that you're not going to make happy but kind of like what we were talking about earlier with that that first parent email or that first parent phone call you know you got to find a way to to work your way through it and you learn how to work your way through it so right no i uh i remember talking to an administrator one time who you know they get more parent problems parent issues than i do and yep uh, his comment to me was, you know, I always ask myself, am I making the right choice for the kids? And if the answer is yes, then I can sleep pretty good about it. Yep, absolutely. That's a great way to look at it. Absolutely. Great way to look at it. So, well, Coach, let's jump into some of your coaching philosophy here. Um, want to go through some stuff. Uh one of the things that I really liked, and and I've seen your teams play down at the state tournament the last few years, uh, you like you've had the the two uh, suits twins along with uh, a couple post players, uh, but I, I and I noticed this schematically while I was watching your teams play. Uh, you like to take your big kids and kind of move them away from the basket, put them kind of in that elbow or at the nail area, and and of course the suit suits boys. Uh, you know, more of face-up post players than they are back-to-the-basket type of kids as well. Uh, what uh, what kind of drove that philosophy, and what do you like about putting that uh, big man at the high post or at the nail area, and, and what are some things that you guys like to run out of that? And at this point, I'm just going to let, let you go, and if I've got a question, I'll jump in and ask. So go sure. ahead and let it rip. So uh, last year, when those guys were juniors, Everybody played us man-to-man because the year before is the team that we had that shot the ball so well, Mm -hmm. and we basically just scared teams away from playing zone Mm -hmm. uh, because we had such good shooters. So all we were seeing was man-to-man, and we had teams that didn't match up well with us because we're so tall, you know? Yep. Uh, Somebody finally played us zone. I think we were playing uh, my buddy Dan Fuse, his team at Madison, and they played us a 2-3 zone, and we stuck uh, Jacob at the high post. And every time he touched it, something good happened. And we were kind of uh, on the fence about our man offense. I mentioned some of those expectations weren't being met from some of the guys, so what are we going to do? And I just watched this kid, uh, whether he scored or he found somebody, got it down low to a post player, kicked it out for a three just kind of hit me like, man, why not just leave him there all the time? Mm-hmm. And we started messing with it in practice. And, you know, you get the ball to your best player at the free throw line. There's really no good place to help from. Mm-hmm. The help is going to be out of position, whether it's you have a shooter in the corner and that person's almost in the paint. Well, that guy in the corner is open. Uh, you can just simply pass him the ball and he can shoot it from there. And if if you don't have any help, 
my best player is going to beat your guy to the basket. We always kind of keep a post player sort of in that dunker spot that once his guy leaves, he's going to flash to a, to an opening and uh, we'll look to score there. I am, uh, you know, what are some of the other things we do out of it? Uh, we had a couple rules this year. If the ball is entered to the high post from the wing, that wing is automatic back door and, and those other two guards, you know, we're kind of set up in the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, low post, high post, three guards on the perimeter. Uh, guy enters it in from the wing. He's going to back door, take his guy out, and then we're going to slide the other two guys over just to get some movement. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the movement the year before, and we were really easy to guard. Uh, and sometimes as those guys were moving, um, the guy who was at the top of the key his defender just left to go double the ball in the high post. Okay. So we get a guy kind of running around the top of the key and then cutting to the basket wide open uh, because like they should be, everybody's concerned about Jacob in the high post. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that opened up a lot of backdoor opportunities for us. And uh, um, if we entered it in from the, from the point spot, the top middle, if we got it to him, then we would bring our big guy up and run a pick and roll from right there. Oh, okay. I like that. And, you know, that guy who passes it in, he just kind of picks a side and goes and replaces. And we try to, you know, draw our offenders away from that pick and roll. And uh, that, I think that might have really been the only two rules that we had. We tried to keep our post player um, opposite of the ball. If we passed it to the left wing, he's mm-hmm. going to go opposite so that we can open up a driving lane and potentially dish it to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to encourage those guards to drive baseline for us. And mostly, I mean, it is it is spacing the floor. It is having a kid with a good basketball IQ at the free throw line that understands where help comes from, who needs to touch the ball. If there's two guys on me, somebody's open and... I don't know. It's funny. As a sophomore, Jacob was a pretty good shooter. Mm-hmm. I think he was a, a 36, 37 percent three point shooter. Just just a stud. And to watch him turn into this dominant force on the inside. I don't know if anybody would have expected that. Any Humphrey Lindsay fan who had been watching games the previous year. But that's mm-hmm. what happened. Yeah, um, I, I we do that a lot, too, with taking that post player. And uh, Coach Hoiberg calls it the the room, and and we slide that kid over there for that that drop pass. You know, if you, if if they're opposite and your wing takes it to that baseline, and then they just read what their defender does, and we work on that drop pass to them as well, so they could go up and finish and and try to get two on that ball there. So, um, what are some? You also said you did some stuff with some one four high. Uh, type of looks. What what's some stuff that you've done there with the we we call it Utah after the old Utah Jazz with uh, Stockton and Malone and they ran a bunch mm-hmm. of that stuff with Jerry Sloan. Uh, so we 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 call it Utah uh, one four high. You know the old UCLA whatever whatever name you want to give it. Uh, what's some what are some things you've done with that? Um, we typically if we went to that we were trying to get two looks and one of them. Um, you know, as you can imagine, those Suits twins in elementary school and junior high were a head taller than everybody and really good. And when their backs were against the wall, they just ran pick and rolls for each other. Mm-hmm. So when we went to a 1-4 high, we would try to get a pick and roll with those two guys and see what opened up from that. And then uh, we also kind of ran a 
we called it a twins look. It wasn't necessarily those two guys, but we put uh, one of them on the, the elbow and then we bring our post player up and we try to enter it into one of the big guys. And then we would cut the other big guy. He'd head to the, basically the ball side block. And I don't know, we maybe ran that seven times this year and every time was a layup. We probably should have ran it more, whether it was zone or man. Uh-huh. If it's zone, he's going to draw a defender um, and you're going to have a guy open in the corner for a three uh, or he's just going to cut across the paint wide open. Um, and if it's against man, if he clears that out, he just opened up a driving lane for for our other post player to take off with his left or right hand to kind of go fill that area he left. And uh, it's just about getting our big guys an opportunity, uh, you know, to make a play not that far away from the basket, mm-hmm. kind of facing up the basket. Yeah, yeah. And, and anything anything you can do, like you said, your, your base principles on offense were to, to get the ball to that nail area and let your kids cook, and that's just a different look. Uh, it sounds like you guys just designed different looks to kind of do to try and accomplish the same thing. Right. I would uh, add to, I don't know if I had this on my sheet, but we kind of had one more uh, offensive set. We ran a dribble weave. Mm-hmm. We would uh, bring that uh, post player up from the free throw line to the three-point line, and we put our guards in the corner, and then we had a big guy on the block, and we'd kind of dribble uh, from corner to corner around the perimeter mm-hmm. and just look for an opening, make a defender guard us. Uh, that was one of our man offenses when I first got here that our kids really enjoyed, and we had a couple good guards. But eventually, we only started to use that when we had some pretty serious mismatches. Mm-hmm. If a team brought in that six foot four, two hundred and sixty pound post player that you know isn't very nimble, yeah, uh, our guys—I didn't even have to say anything. Our guys knew that this guy can't guard us on a pick and roll, so we called it Wildcat. We'd get that. Whoever that kid's guarding, we're going to make him come up to the three-point line, and we are picking and rolling. If we don't get that right away, then we'll just dribble to the corner and flip, and we'll make him try to guard another pick and roll. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of success. Um, kind of, you know, if, even sometimes we'd run that if we uh, if we played a really good big guy. Mm-hmm. You know, a shot blocker, we'd try to pull him away from the basket, make him guard guards and try to try to stick a foul on him. Yep. You know, away from the hoop. So yep. that would be the other kind of offensive concept that uh, our guys understand here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even, you know, and again, the, the Suits boys get a lot of uh, a lot of attention and rightfully so. But didn't you have like it was a Keller kid that was a post player yep. for you as well? And he was a good athlete. He was nimble. He could cover some ground, and you could do some stuff with him as well. Uh, I imagine, you know, that's something that you did with him as well, right? Uh, yep. 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 He, uh, you know, we were really fortunate. All of our big guys were really good athletes. Mm -hmm. Uh, the suits, twins, Keller, we had a Kyle Priesters like six foot six and could shoot the three. So that kind of affected what we were able to do on defense too. Yep. Perfect. Um, some of your favorite drills and and you listed a couple, I wanted to get into, uh, a couple of them here, six, seven, eight free throw shooting. What's that one coach? Um, so that was, I think I went to a Tim Miles camp one time and, uh, you, your guys divide themselves up. They go to all six hoops. You start on one hoop, guy shoots, 
And uh, then you kind of go in order clockwise around. And the goal is the kids have to make six in a row. And then you reset back to zero. And then they have to make seven in a row. You reset back to zero. And then if they get eight, we're basically done doing it. We'll probably run this four or six times a day. You put two minutes on the clock. And, um, you know, it can, it can get pretty hard. We had a couple of years ago, we had 16 out. We had small numbers, and our guys were really good free-throw shooters. This year we added, I think we had 26 out with a lot of freshmen, Uh and we were not very good top-to-bottom shooting free-throws. And, you know, that time before you start practice and the kids are just shooting around, our freshmen shot, I can't tell you how many free-throws because they did not want to let the older guys down in this drill. Uh Um. But if you don't get to six, we're going to run three down and backs. If you get to six but not seven, two. And if you get to seven but not eight, one. And I think maybe two times this year we got to eight. And when that happens, we're just done. We're not running six, seven, and eight anymore. We're we're taking the rest of that time off, and we'll move on to the next thing. But uh, when you're timing down and backs, the difference between three and two is very significant. Mm-hmm. If, if guys don't make it to six, they're uh, – you know, there's not a lot of smiles on their faces, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But you know what? If you make your free throws, then you don't have to worry about it. Right. Yep. So um, so kind of towards the end of the season, you know, when we got into state tournament practices, we sort of changed everything up about how we practiced and we started. We immediately split up into teams because we wanted to be competitive. We do a couple team drills, and we kind of changed the way we do six, seven, eight. And we had them on two different teams still. And they were on occupying three hoops. And the goal was to get to four. So you're on your three hoops, one, two, three, four. And once you get to four, we start counting points. You had to get four in a row. And then that fifth one was one point. And each one after that is still a point. Uh, and we're competing against the other team. So only one side of this is going to run. And that got to be some pretty intense games of shooting free throws. And I feel like it led to more, what would you say, clutch free throws, more mm-hmm. opportunities for, for big misses or big makes. Yeah. So that was a neat wrinkle. We'll continue next year too. Yeah, well, and and that stuff in practice puts – pressure on your kids so that so that and like you know you guys went overtime one you know game went down to the last shot and then overtime 17 for 22 on free throws in the finals this year yeah and you end up winning in overtime by one or two i can't remember but uh one one was it one yep and so every point counts Absolutely, yep. you know, and you and you have to create that environment and practice to to put that emphasis on there. So, um, three on three transition. Um, two teams again, man. I I love this one. We used to run it all the time, but our kids almost just get too physical for this drill anymore, <laughs> and it's such a bummer. Yeah, uh, you have three lines on your side. There's a line under the hoop, and then we tell them free throw line extended out of bounds on both sides, but those guys end up just moving their lines up to half court. Um, you're playing three on three. And when you're on defense, you get a rebound, a steal, or the other team scores. You don't even take it out of bounds 
uh, those three guys at the front of those lines just take off down the floor and you just try to get it down the floor as fast as you can. And those guys that were on offense, they have to sprint and get back on defense. And the same thing for them after they're done playing defense, they are trying to outlet the ball and get it down the floor as fast as they can. And uh, that's, you know, you wouldn't have known if you just watched us at the state tournament, but uh, probably the first half of the season, we were an amazing transition team. And out of our zone defense, once a shot went up, we just release a kid because we were so tall. We had so many awesome baseball passes for layups, but uh, we ended up with an injury. Our Keller kid hurt his finger. And once that happened, kind of in mid-January, our subbing rotation was off and we just never got back in the groove of running the floor again. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're keeping points on that? Are you going for a certain yep. time? Or, or what's, you, what's, uh, your, what's your competitive we, system with that one? We play to seven and everything's a one. Any Anytime we do something competitive like that, we only play to like five or seven. If you play to much more than that, it gets you know, kind of lends to maybe getting silly, uh-huh. uh, not competitive. So we like to keep the game short and sometimes we'll play a two out of three. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, playing that series is also, it's a nice reset. You, you kind of have, you know, if you get down, like in your situation, let's say you get down six to two and you know, you're going to seven. Yeah. You got a chance to win, but you're probably not going to. So, okay. We kick the can down the street on that one, but let's reset it. Let's, let's, Let's move on, and we got to get this next one, though, because if we don't, we're done. And, right. and that's a nice way to do things as well in practice, don't you think? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to com, a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. Apenandanapkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Coach, uh, let's start. You guys, you're, you're a zone coach you've you've done a lot with your zone you've run a lot of you've ran a lot of different zones uh why zone what's your belief in that uh your philosophy and and what are some of the zone options that you like to run um i think when i started coaching uh in wallace i was strictly a man-to-man guy and i was going to live and die with my man-to-man it probably actually cost us maybe two games that first year that i wouldn't switch to a zone uh, but I kind of felt like out there, people always say about the one three one. it's really hard because nobody runs it. Mm-hmm. But in that neck of the woods, nobody played man-to-man. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like the one three one. But then I came here, and we were just so stinking tall for a Class D school. Yep. I think that first year we had uh, all three suitses were 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, uh, we had a 6'3 athlete. We had a 6'4 post player. It's like we could maybe play a really good man with all these guys, but we could play a really good zone. And that's that's kind of what these guys had been running all through elementary school and junior high was a lot of uh, that's what their parents were running with them was one, three, one or two, three zones. So uh, we just decided to stick with zone for those guys. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe my favorite thing, like it's it's funny, the evolution of this stuff, like my scouting reports used to be pretty thorough. You know, 
watch a lot of game film, write down tendencies and things. Yep. And the last couple of years, the scouting reports are this guy shoots the ball and this guy doesn't shoot the ball. <laughs> and this guy, we would like to shoot the ball. Like that's just about all we tell kids. And then, you know, once you get halfway through your, your season, you can kind of start comparing kids on teams to teams you already played. Yep. Like, Hey, you remember this guy from this team? These guys are really similar. Yeah. You know, let's, let's let him make two before we come out and really guard him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not the only, and I'm going to use air quotes here, zone coach that has told me that, that it's it's simplified their scouts and it's allowed them more time to work on their stuff. Uh, it, it has, has that been kind of a bit of a, a benefit as well? Yeah, I remember somebody asking Bayheim about his 2-3 zone. It's like, oh, you guys must work on that a lot. And he basically said the opposite. He's like, no, we, we never work on it. It just... You know, we get to spend time in practice working on offense instead. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we're at, too. Usually the first couple of weeks of the season, we'll do a lot of a lot of zone stuff, a lot of uh, kind of shell rebounding out of a zone. Uh, but once games start, we're spending more time on offense and game prep than anything else. Gotcha. Gotcha. What are what are some of the, you know, you mentioned one three one. Have you guys ran anything else? Um. You know, a couple of years ago, we would start with our one three one, and if we were successful, we would stay in it. And uh, that was the year we got third. We had four really good players. We didn't pressure crazy. We kind of kept it at the perimeter. Uh, we weren't trapping real hard. Uh, but if somebody was killing us inside, if they were taking advantage of a mismatch somewhere, we'd switch to a two three zone mm-hmm. and kind of pack it in and dare them to shoot. And likewise, if somebody was shooting really well against our one-three-one, we would switch over to a three-two zone. Okay. And that three-two, we ended up running a lot of three-two that year, just because I had a really good little point guard, just a stud, and he ran our baseline for us. Oh yeah, I remember. Probably, I remember that kid. Yes, yes. I can't remember his uh, name, but uh, he was impressive. Honest. Yep. Um, he was awesome, and he just worked so hard on defense that. You know, we need this guy to handle the ball, to make good decisions, to make free throws. And he's a 42% three-point shooter, and we're just wearing him out on defense. So sometimes we just switch to a 3-2 zone. If we ever got up maybe 15 points on somebody, we'd say, let's get out of our 1-3-1 and let's run a 3-2 so we can save Brett's legs a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we'll make these two big guys down here kind of take turns covering covering their corners for us. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, last, uh, I'm really, and, and I'm kind of, I hope I'm saving the best for last year. Uh, I'm really curious. You put something on your survey here about efficiency points. Uh, what are your efficiency, efficiency points? I, 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 obviously it's, it's something to do with the stats from the games and, and what you do there. Uh, how do you, uh, calculate it? Uh, how do you emphasize it? How do you share it with your with your team? Uh, I'm really curious on this one here, Coach. Uh, so tell us about your efficiency points. Sure. So this is it's kind of a fun thing for kids to do and look at. Um, it's okay. Um, so after I stat out a game, we kind of have this little formula. All the statistics are worth points. Um, I can maybe send you that sheet, and if you mm-hmm. – if you post this thing, you could maybe attach it on there for anyone who's yeah, curious to see. Yeah. 
um, like a defensive rebound, a steal, an assist. Those are plus two. An offensive rebound is plus three. Uh, if you turn the ball over, minus two. If you miss a shot, minus one. If you miss a free throw, minus two. If you miss the front end of a one and one, minus three. Um, I'll stat the game out usually by hand. And the second I'm done statting it out and entering it on max preps, I'll go ahead and calculate efficiency points. And uh, then I'll kind of do a running cumulative total for the kids so they can see where they're at. And, you know, it used to be, you know, for like a role player to hit 20 points is pretty impressive. Like that is a really good game for your fourth or fifth guy. Um, your studs should be living in the high 30s and 40s. Uh, Jacob suits for us this year average 16 points a game, nine rebounds, and five or six assists, and four or five steals. Uh, there were times that he was hitting in the 70s or 80s on efficiency points, which, you know, it's a new thing for you. You don't understand, but it's <laughs> incredible how efficient. I mean, this guy, he just hardly screwed up he never made mistakes he made plays he was always around the ball i think he finished with over like 1200 or 1300 efficiency points which is a number that will probably never be touched by anybody within 300 points uh-huh. um you know what do i use it for it's just kind of for the kids mm-hmm. i mentioned earlier that you know i'm, I'm gonna have probably my fourth or fifth best player come off the bench if i'm able to do that like, I don't really use this stuff to evaluate. I kind of still use my eyes for evaluation. But uh, if there ever comes a time where a change needs to be made, it's kind of nice to be able to turn back to this and say, this is what this guy's doing with his minutes versus what you're doing with your minutes. Mm-hmm. I haven't had to have that conversation yet, but uh, this is kind of a tool that lends itself to helping me if that was ever the case. And you share this with your kids? Uh, Yep. They, I post it. It's like the first thing I do in school the next morning. I'll print the thing off and uh, post one in the locker room and one by my classroom. And I mean, they, the first thing they do in the morning is look for it. They mm-hmm. want to know what they had. Gotcha. Is it generally a positive thing with your kids? Um, I mean, in the sense of, I, I imagine it kind of turns into a, a competitive thing and, and it forces them to think about the decisions that they're making on the floor, hence the name efficiency. Right. Um, competitive, yes. This year, everybody knew they were not going to be first place because <laughs> of Jacob. But yeah. it was funny. They, they kind of ended up really close in pairs. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, I think Jason Suits was maybe kind of ahead of everybody, but then a Cooper Beller and a Sage Frondoffer are right next to each other. Uh, Ethan Keller missed a few games, but he's online with a, a Jet Spear and an Easton Baumgart. Um, so you could kind of compete in these small little little clusters or groups with uh, your teammates that way. And was it a negative thing? I mean, there were some times that we'd post that and you know we'd have a starter that had negative efficiency points. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh man, I, I didn't play very well. And I don't know if uh, it caused hurt feelings or anything, but hopefully it's something that kind of lights a fire and kids want to bounce back and do better the next time. Absolutely, absolutely. Joe Hesse, the head boys basketball coach at Humphrey, Lindsey Holy family. Coach, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on this morning. Uh, it sounds like the kids got breakfast this morning. Are, are we doing okay there? Uh, everybody's good. We are uh, 
playing some toys and baby's still sleeping right now, which has been awesome. Well, you know, that's, that's, that, that is gold with young children. Yeah. When they sleep in like that, that's, it doesn't get much better than that, does it? Nope, it really doesn't. <laughs> uh, Coach, any social media you want to plug for your program? Uh, no, I'm on Twitter, but uh, uh, I don't know. I find myself very seldomly uh, posting things about our, our basketball or our program or anything, so no, I'm good. Oh, okay, all right. Uh, well, hey, Coach Joe Hesse, the head boys basketball coach at Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family. Uh, coach, I hope you enjoyed your time on a pen and a napkin here. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me. Fun to talk hoops with you. All right. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, if you could hold the line here real quick, got to wrap up a few things, and uh, we're going to call it a day. So if you could just hold on just a second, we'll, we'll do that here. Uh, again, uh, Joe Hesse, head boys basketball coach, three-time state champion at Humphrey Lindsay Holy Family. Uh, want to thank him for being on the podcast this week. We want to thank COSAC Chiropractic for, again, being our founding sponsor. Uh, follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on the Twitter handle. Download, rate, and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Help us out in the ratings there. Email us, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas. A pen and a napkin.com, newly redesigned, like I said, added a new uh, few new things here this week. Uh, put on some stuff with some pressure defense. So check that out. And then, of course, uh, if, if you would like to support a pen and a napkin, uh, visit our Patreon page. Any any help that you would be willing to give a pen and a napkin would be greatly appreciated. So for Coach Joe Hesse, uh, this is Marty Plum. Coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day at a time.